and welcome back to the MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 136, your weekly podcast covering everything Magic the Gathering related. Your host, as always, Chaz, uh, uh, content producer and focusing on the financial aspect of the game, joined by Richard, the owner of MTG Goldfish. What's up, Richard? Hey, guys. What's going on? Happy Eclipse Day. Happy Eclipse Day, Richard. And Seth is back. Welcome back, Seth. How was your vacation? Uh, it was very nice, but I'm glad to be back. It's it's weird. I like vacation, but it takes a lot to not think about magic and check up on magic stuff. So I actually like have to keep myself from doing that stuff during vacation. <laughs> nice. So that is uh, Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, in case any of you didn't know. Um, all-around content creator. And uh, you can find us every week on Google Play, iTunes, mtggoldfish.com, and now on YouTube. So, uh, Seth, well, on the docket today, it looks like you didn't miss too much. Uh, so we are going to discuss um, the latest GP, so GP Denver, and congrats to uh, Brad Nelson for winning the tournament. Um, just going to briefly talk about Standard and its health and where we might be going, um, because right around the corner is Ixalan, um, and we're all really excited about that. Uh, we have Hascon coming up, so we're going to discuss that a little bit. And a bunch of market movement, uh, pretty, a lot of market movement, I'll say, and it's too much to ignore. Uh, a lot about the reserve list this time around, and seems to be a yearly thing, so we're going to discuss that as well. Um, so let's get going. Uh, GP Denver is in the books. And what did you folks, or, you know, gentlemen, what did you think? Uh, Richard, did you get to catch any of it? Seth, I know you were kind of, not trying to think too much about magic, but uh, it looks like Standard is in a pretty healthy spot. Yeah, uh, Brad Nelson. Congrats to Brad Nelson. Took down the tournament with Teamer Energy. Uh, I did not watch a tournament outside of my five-minute check that uh, the deck displays were working correctly <laughs> because they were using the Goldfish deck displays. But Standard seems to be in a good place. It's rock, paper, scissors, right? We have our... Our archetypes from the Pro Tour, I guess, still going strong, and just every week there's a different deck winning, and I guess this is a healthy meta? I, I, I don't know. Like We don't see any spice, but we do see different decks winning, and they're still all here, so this is, I think, the balanced meta, right? Yeah, I mean, I got to watch a little uh, bit of it on Sunday, and Standard looks pretty good. It's I think I tweeted, it's pretty amazing how bad Standard was not long ago, and how good it is now. It's quite the recovery for Standard. I'm a little nervous, because we're actually getting super close to rotation. I mean, we've been focused on Commander and the Summer stuff, but we're like a month away from rotation. So even though Standard's very good right now it'll be interesting to see what things look like in a few months because some of the big decks from the rock paper scissors are probably going to drop off like zombies is a big one not sure that that'll still be a thing without a lot of its key pieces we lose all the eldrazi which are kind of the key part of the ramp decks so while i think things are sweet now i'm also excited to see what things look like a month from now yeah, it really is very close to rotation. So it's about that time again. Um, and we're losing a lot of cards and not replacing them with very many. Um, I, I think people have kind of just been accustomed to, uh, Shadows Block and BFZ Block being part of standard for so long. I mean, I think it, it's funny because some people still don't realize that Shadows is also rotating. It is indeed rotating and we're losing about like, 900 and change cards and re and replacing them with what like 240 yeah so it's a pretty huge uh rotation and you're absolutely right seth i mean some of the decks will drop off uh but a couple of the key decks right now anyway uh don't lose very much i think energy maybe loses like like maybe a few cards that's it and ramanap red uh doesn't lose very much either so it's going to be interesting and with a condensed meta um, I think we'll just continue to see uh, aggressive decks continue to be popular until some mid-range decks form again. Because I do think some of the cards that have been, have been overshadowed right now will start to rear their head again. A lot of the Gear Hulks, probably some of the gods that haven't been uh, played, notably like the Scarab God, which did see some play over the weekend. So there is optimism. Yeah, it'll be interesting because we're going from standard at maximum size with eight sets in it to standard with five sets in it. So it is a really big shakeup. I think my main concern is 
just how good energy will be, because like you said, those decks lose basically nothing, like maybe a tireless tracker or two, and that's the only thing they lose out of their entire main deck, so I'm curious to see if we're going to run into a time where it's just all energy decks, or if Ixalan will have enough power to be able to keep up. I think the big takeaway from the GP outside of the top eight was the God Pharaoh's gift decks are still around. There was a whole bunch of them that just barely missed the top eight. So with a little bit more luck in the last rounds, we could have had two or three God Pharaoh's gift decks in the top eight. So it'll be, it's interesting to see the development of that archetype. The biggest ones of the weekend were Jeskai instead of straight blue white, which a lot of the earlier builds were. Uh, were. So it's cool that there is innovation going on it just didn't quite make it to the top eight this weekend yeah it's rock paper scissors because you know brad nelson's winning list only played two of braids right so people are like yeah no one's crazy enough to play monument now with all these braids running around so they start cutting their braids and then uh you know the big scary artifacts kind of rear their head back in so i, I like how that is there, there are enough answers here that people can keep decks down and then they start getting greedy and start cutting the answers and then those decks crop back up kind of like dredge in older formats so that's a pretty interesting dynamic yeah that's historically a sign of a healthy metagame um you know richard you played the game a long time seth you played the game a long time so it's good to see you know and definitely the chatter is confirming this that it's almost like a weekly meta and just like you said richard we're starting to see that when you cut a braids then you know the monument decks begin to um, come out in more numbers, and then once people put a braid back in, then it switches to more aggressive lists, and then if red's doing well, zombies is a good counter to that. So it's always kind of rotating, and at least uh, we get that for at least a little bit more, you know, a few more weeks before uh, rotation just kind of puts a monkey wrench in all that. I think, when was the last time you remember a format that was a month away from rotation in this wide open? Like, if I think back to last rotations, for the last two or three years even, I remember a couple years ago literally not watching tournaments over the summer because Collected Company was... We everyone knew it was the deck. Like, there wasn't even really any reason to watch because you knew that Collected Company was the best deck. You're just waiting for rotation. So it's actually really refreshing to be so close to rotation and still have a pretty healthy metagame. Like, maybe we don't see a ton of brand new decks popping up, but like you said, there's a lot of back and forth and up and down and different decks are doing well on different weeks. And it hasn't been like this, this deep into a format for at least a couple of years and maybe longer than that. Um, I feel like I want to say like some, at some point when Innistrad was legal, the first Innistrad, but, um, cause there was already, a, there was a ton of archetypes. I don't know. I think like towards the very end, it did get a little sketchy with, um, a lot of like the Naya humans lists and it kind of like took over the format, but right up until then it did go pretty deep where there was a lot of different archetypes. I do remember that, but yeah, I, I think. A part of that, though, is kind of like we had to wait for all these bannings, which was kind of unfortunate. But just imagine, like, how great this would have been the last year if those cards were were not printed at all. Um, I, I think it's pretty interesting to think about that. But at the very least, we had at least a short time uh, where standards really awesome uh, to kind of send off BFZ and uh, Shadows Block this way. All right. Uh, with that being said, um, do you want to move into Hascon? Ah, yes, Hascon. So Hascon is three weeks, right? Three weeks? Three weeks. weeks So September, the weekend of September 8th. And last week, Hascon tickets were put on Groupon (laughs) at anywhere from, I guess, 33% to 50% off. That sounds right. That is not good, right? When you show up on Groupon... That means no one is buying your tickets. They need to liquidate them fast and get people to buy them. So right now, you can buy single-day tickets for Hascon for $20 to $30 or $35 uh, on Groupon. What do you guys do? What do you guys make of this? Like, we're, <laughs> we're three weeks out, and they've hit the panic button. They're on Groupon. You know, remember when the pricing first came out? We're like, who is going to pay this much money for Hascon? And apparently the answer is not a lot of people. You you cannot yeah. you cannot bamboozle magic players for like all of their money. They they, they will resist. Yeah, not enough players. Um a couple of thoughts here is and I might be wrong here. 
So if the comment section, uh, you know, can can talk about this, that'd be great. But I can't remember a Comic Con or ver- these very large cons ever showing up on Groupon like this. Uh, maybe they have, and if they have, I apologize. And it's also a telling sign that they don't even discount like exclusives either. Like the the San Diego Comic Con Planeswalker pack is pretty much still in stock, and they still don't discount them. But they'll turn around and discount the Hascon tickets. So uh, you can tell that there this is nowhere near the level of other large cons in the country, and it's starting to show. And, and this is something that we talked about very early on that. They're priced, they priced it like Comic Con, like almost like these large cons when it's just not on that level, not even remotely on that level. And it's targeted for children, right? Here, here's the key part, right? Like as an adult, you work, you know, you, you love comics or whatever, you're willing to fork over a hundred dollars or three hundred dollars or whatever to go, to go play, right? But the majority of Hascon outside of Magic the Gathering players are children. And that means you got to drag your family of five over here, which is like a nuisance in itself. And you're expecting people to shell out like a couple hundred dollars. So it it just didn't seem correct. It's, this is not hardcore, you know, con people. This is like children who want to go play with Transformers and stuff, right? So it's just weird. And I suspect we're going to end up with just a weird Magic the Gathering convention with like little children like thrown out. So I, I don't know... I don't know how this is going to turn out, but now it's very interesting to see that it's it's shown up on Groupon, and I kind of just want to go see <laughs> Hascon just to see like who's there and like what's going on now, right? Uh, so I, this I really makes you want to go more. <laughs> it does. I just want to see everything burn. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. It's clearly not a good sign for how ticket sales have been going, because if things were going well, you wouldn't put your tickets on Groupon for half off. And I think it's just a really tough sell. I wish that I wish that instead of HasCon, they just did like maybe a Wizards of the Coast Con. I think that would be cool. I think the biggest problem with all this is it's just so scattered and it's really hard to sell any individual group. I think to spend the amount that they want you to spend when just a tiny fraction of Hascon is a product you're interested in. I've never met a single person that said they're a big fan of Hasbro. Like that's not, there's no like brand recognition that you're a Hasbro fan. You're a fan of wizards of the coast. You like D and D and magic, or you're a fan of the individual brands with, uh, that are under the Hascon umbrella. So it's just a really odd idea. And the idea that they could price it like a premium con for the very first outing with all the issues of how scattered it is was just, in hindsight, obviously not very good. If they are to this point now, it's a pretty clear sign they probably should have just priced Hascon at half off to begin with and avoided all of the bad reactions when they announced the pricing on social media. Yeah, and that's really it. And and this is not me trying to say, like, it's a bad event or, you know, there, there's not people that will enjoy this event because obviously there's there's tickets selling so some people find it worthwhile and it and it could still very well be overall a decent con but i think really just they kind of got a little too ambitious in getting into this con scene and and looking at ticket prices and thinking like they're they can somehow match a a con that's been going on for a, a, a first of all, a very long time and is now blown up to, it's like a mainstream thing. Like they have act like high end actors and, and selling like these, these huge movies coming out. So it's gotten even larger since, you know, it first started and there's nowhere, like I know that I, I think I saw tweets that they were like getting in some of these people, but personally I didn't recognize like offhand anyone that was even going. And this, again, I'm sorry if the, there is people that are worthwhile going. I apologize, but I can't definitively remember that, like, oh, like, uh, Gal Gadot is going, or, you know, someone who's, or, um, I don't know, someone else, like, in the Justice League or whatever. Like, th- those type of people are not showing up to this. Okay, just to, just to dog pile on Hascon for a second. <laughs> here, here is the, the name of the event on Groupon, and you tell me if this makes any sense to you. Hasbro's Hascon Family Event 2017 
with a performance by Flo Rida. <laughs> yeah, I don't... <laughs> when you think family fun time, <laughs> yeah. you're, you're the first person you think of is Flo Rida. <laughs> like, yeah. like, what is this, right? Like, it, it doesn't make any sense. Now, this is a legitimate question. I'm not trying to be, you know, facetious or anything. This is geared towards, like, under 13 children? It has to be, right? Because it's right, like... Because, yeah. It's like Transformers, My Little Pony... Stuff and like I, that, I don't know right? if we talked about this before, but I, I, I just wanted to get the record straight. So this is just for like 10 and like under because, and the reason I say that is because I, I teach a summer class for, for teenagers and I've been doing this for a few years now. And like teenagers between like 13, 14 and all the way up to like 17. So that was like, or 18. That's kind of like the, the age range are not interested in stuff like this. Like I, I don't see them coming in. And I've, again, I've done this for a few years. There's no, no way indicative of what's going on in the country. So keep that in mind. But I've never heard the conversation of like, oh, uh, the new Transformers like product is coming out. They come in, they talk about like YouTubers, League of Legends and like stuff like that, Minecraft and, and stuff like that. Like Minecraft, and I know there's a Minecraft con is almost as large like almost to that level of like a comic con. Like it's it's got such a large following that has con even though there's a a large umbrella of different things like transformers, you have magic, you have whatever. It's nowhere close to even uh, the same following as like something like Minecraft. The other thing is they obviously invested a lot in this. When you think that they yeah. made a magic set specifically to try to get magic players to go to this event in Iconic Masters, that's a that's a lot of work and a lot of production and man hours to make an entire magic set specifically so you could have this pre-release. So it's got to be a little disappointing from Wizards' perspective in specific to see that ticket sales obviously aren't going well. Because, I mean, Iconic Masters was supposed to be a huge draw, and apparently that's not enough to get Magic players to go to My Little Pony Transformer Play-Doh Con? Like, is that where we're at? <sighs> I don't know. Well, here's it the it good is news. kind of where we're at, though. Here's the good news. We're three weeks out. We haven't had a leak yet. <laughs> we still don't that know is, the cards <laughs> from Iconic Masters. Uh, I think we all would have said that it must have leaked <laughs> before. So, so three weeks out, we're still good. Here's my question to you, East Coasters: Does having the tickets at half off entice you more to go to Hascon, or are any of you going to Hascon, or are you like red flag? No one's going here. Better not go. <laughs> like it, you know, it scares you away. You know what lost me legitimately? It I would have. It would have definitely been more of an incentive at half off. But you know what lost me is I, I think I can't get behind. And I, again, for those of you out there that like them, that's fine. But for me, I would have liked magic specific promos. I, I just cannot get like I like the sword of D&D and it is cool and all that and the transformer, whatever. But I can't use those like I can't at the end of the day, go back and like throw a cool promo or whatever into a deck and, and use them. And I think that's kind of where it lost me because the only interest I would have had is for magic. So you can't expect me to pay even half off for a ticket. And is the iconic masters draft even included in that? I don't even think so. Right. No, they, they no. didn't discount any of the add ons. R- right. So now I have to pay what? $30, 35. Yeah. I don't uh, remember I'm getting my numbers mixed up. Yeah. I'm, I, I apologize. I don't have the numbers offhand, but, um, yeah, to play one draft, and I just, it's not enough for me. I'm sorry. I think it actually makes me less likely to go. I think if I was really sold on it, the ticket prices were high, but that wouldn't have been a barrier for me in specific if I thought it was something I really wanted to do. But seeing the ticket decrease definitely makes me look around and think, oh, there's probably not going to be that many Magic players there that I want to meet and hang out with. So it actually makes me less likely to want to go to Hascon. Yeah, I mean, there's some benefits of having the convention be small. Like, if you go to PAX today, it's it's like lineup convention. You can't get anything done, right? You need to line right. up for hours yep. to accomplish anything. Whereas when you went to PAX when it was brand new, you could just show up at the door, buy a ticket, come in, play all the games you want to play, and then go home. 
So uh, if it's sparsely populated, you can actually go do the Transformers thing. And... <laughs> but that assumes I want to do the Transformers thing, even if there's no line. <laughs> you could actually play Magic the Gathering or whatever. I don't know. But, you know, it's not it's not all downside, right? It, no, it may no, flop, it's not. But you, you could go there and have a good time still. Well, again, and, and flop is relative. And this was kind of – I was actually going to bring that up that point, Richard, and I'm glad you brought it up. Even if it's a flop in the overall sense of the word, is it really for them though? Like, I, I was going to ask you guys, does this really need to be super successful for it to be successful for them? You know, like, it, again, like you just said, Richard, it, it's a smaller con, even though it's overpriced. Like, every ticket they were, that they were selling at that price, like, does this, did they need to really sell that many tickets for it to be successful for them? I mean, I guess saying. it depends how much money they put into it, right? Yeah, I, I guess it can't be that much. I mean, I don't know how high-end Flow Rider is these days. And I'm, I'm not even trying to be like, funny, but I, I, I really don't know. But <laughs> did wow, they really we're, spend we're that much? We're just everyone today. <laughs> no, I'm serious though. I don't. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. I so I'm, uh, yeah. He came just for the the free continental breakfast. <laughs> That's his going rate. Do you even need to buy the 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 promo cards? Uh, I hope it's awesome. That's a legitimate question, actually. What do you mean? Do you need? To, you don't need to buy them. I mean, no, no, no. I mean, no. do like do they like do you have to buy them in order to own them? Yes. Like, do they give you those? Do no. they give those to you? No. You Unless buy you buy them. the, you have to buy the Magic VIP package, and then they're included. Otherwise, to you have to buy promos. them. Yeah. Yeah, they're not like in oh your goodie God. bag or something when you show up. You have That's, to pay for them. Uh, the other it's thing, even more of a no now. The other thing is we have Magic cons. The, Forty some weekends a year at GPS. Like if you yeah, want to just go yeah. hang out with Magic players and draft and like do that and not have to deal with the people that are there for Play-Doh and My Little Pony and like the crowd that probably isn't that interested in Magic, we already have that constantly. So it's really hard for me to differentiate what a Magic player gets from Hascon that they wouldn't necessarily get going to a big GP. So here's the final question then. Do you think it would have been more successful if it was a Magic the Gathering con and then they just kind of had all the other things included? Like, they, they have a big showing of their Magic Digital Next. You can go play the new set. You actually have promos, uh, the VIP thing. Like, would it have been more successful to market it as Magic the Gathering Con? Because it, it's not like – there's a pretty large following now. It, it probably has to at least match the following of Hasbro, Hasbro Con or whatever this is. Like, I think it honestly would have been more successful to have it Magic the Gathering first and then, like, had all that other stuff included. But the main attraction is Magic the Gathering. And here's these cool promos. And come draft, like, Iconic Masters and blah, blah, blah. I mean, I'm pretty sure it'll be more attractive to us because we're Magic players. But I don't think we're what they're after. I think they want all of the Transformers fans and all the My Little Pony fans. Like, uh. those are the people they want to reach. Because today, if you're a Transformers fan, you have nowhere to congregate, really, right? As a Magic player, like Seth said, you have Pro Tours, Grand Prix, F&M, whatever. So I don't think we're the target. I think we're we're kind of like the side bonus or whatever. Really? And you know, we you, I mean, we like it and we follow that news. No, but no, no. Yeah, yeah. They don't they don't care about us, right? They have no, but, they have ways to reach no, us. No, that's a good that's a good point though. So you really like out of the three the three that you just mentioned, you you believe Magic is like third in that list. My Little Pony transformers and magic like magic shouldn't have ever been the main attraction like even if you still yep. had uh my little pony and transformers at this magic the gathering con because it's still wizards of the coast and hasbro or whatever you don't think it's still like third in that list yeah i think they wow. they could have made a con with just my little pony transformers and really wow right i think that's well, why do they need us maybe need us. I, I guess yeah I think we're, that's a really good point. I think we're coming at this from a Magic player perspective, obviously, and we kind of have this very uh, kind of self-centered view of Hascon, why we're, we're looking at this as what is this for me as a Magic player, and the answer is, like, there's some stuff, but it's not primarily for us, but I think that's a really good point, that maybe we're treating this as a failed Magic Con, when actually it's a 
maybe successful, we don't really know, but, like, it really is supposed to be a HasbroCon that's going to get in all those other brands, and we're just kind of the the side note. Like, they can throw a Iconic Masters pre-release, and that's going to bring in some number of people, and they're perfectly fine with that, and if you want to go to MagicCon, you go to GP Vegas or something along those lines. Okay. Yeah, because, I mean, and I was trying to draw the parallel because, you know, 10 years ago or whatever, that might even be longer, you know, Comic-Con, people could literally, just, like like Richard said, you could go up, you don't have to worry about getting a ticket, you go and whatever. But it's like grown past comics that, even if you're still a hardcore comic fan, like it's almost like a cultural thing now that it encompasses, and it's an umbrella of all that culture, and that's like kind of what I was getting at is that if it was just kind of like this culture of magic and it encompassed the other stuff, um, maybe it would have been more successful, but I, I, I guess not, I guess... It's just one micro, like one little part of that. Maybe I, that's why we're kind of biased towards it. Yeah, and I think it goes back to what we kind of talked about before. There isn't a Hasbro culture. Like Comic Con has a culture, Gen Con has a culture. Hasbro doesn't really have that. It's just like a group of products that are sort of very loosely related. So you don't have that kind of culture that draws people in and the kind of like foundational thing that drives the con forward. So. My last question is, do you think this is it? Do you think there will be a HasCon 2? Or or will this just be a one-off and Wizards or Hasbro decide that it's not worth it to do anymore? That I, I don't know. Yeah, that's a yeah, great question. It depends question. on how successful it is. I, I don't know. Because if Richard is right, and, and a lot of people really are going for Transformers and, and My Little Pony and Nerf or whatever... Then, then yeah, then they probably will. In terms of magic being its own success there, then if it's not that big of a deal, then they, they yeah, they probably will continue to do it. Yeah, and they, they should have just called it like Toy Con or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know they really want to push the Hasbro brand, but I guarantee you, like, 99% of people can't list like one Hasbro IP. Like, you may know of Transformers, but did you know Transformers is owned by Hasbro? Like, no, right? Like, no one knows this, right? So... We we brought it up, tough. like, weeks ago. I didn't even... Like, Lego isn't even... Own, wait, Lego is its own thing. I even thought, like, Lego was going to be there. Like, Lego has its own thing. I think a con or something like that. It's crazy. I, you're right. I, I didn't even know, like, Nerf was, like, Hasbro. No idea. All right. Uh, last bit before we get to uh, some fish mail... Um, so a lot of market movement, uh, good time to, uh, take a vacation, right, Seth? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and here we are, it's almost, I, I think I cited this every year that we've done the podcast, we've talked about the reserve list and, and market movement. So for us, it's been a yearly thing, and I think it goes back even a few years before that. So a lot of movement in the reserve list, um, tons of different cards, a lot of people saying, oh, these are like, bad cards and it's just random speculators and it's just buyouts and it's people, you know, speculators selling to speculators and just kind of here we go again with all this narrative every time, you know, stuff like this happens, right? Uh, last year it was like crazy stuff uh, with reserve list, people buying out random stuff, Martin Screlly and that whole thing, if you remember that. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's been a lot. It's, it's time like, I flies. I love Martin Screlly. <laughs> time flies, right? Um, yeah. Uh, probably it'll be a little bit harder to buy cards now, but uh, that's that's a discussion for another day. But <laughs> um, so, what do you think? I mean, we've had this discussion, and we we all have our view on the reserve list, and and I've kind of it's kind of evolved for me, and it kind of is what it is for me uh, at this point. And and for me, I guess the bottom line is that I'm starting to treat the reserve list as its own entity, uh, much like Commander. Um, but even more so, like the reserve list is starting to become, and, and Richard has drove this point home, uh, many times. And, and so I just want to reiterate it here that it's, it's like not even magic cards anymore. This is like akin to just collectible items similar to old comic books and just stuff that people want to collect and own for various reasons. And it's starting not to matter about which card gets bought and, and why. So I wanted you two to weigh in on this. Yeah, I think there is a disproportional amount of interest in this topic that affects basically no one. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, like, yeah, okay, every day some stuff happens with reserveless pricing. But who does it really affect, right? For most players, unless you're playing Legacy or Vintage, uh, you know, the actual staple cards, you know, the rest of the cards don't matter. Uh, you know, if you are a casual player, most of these cards are terrible. You don't want them. So the, the only people it affects are collectors or people that are speculating on these cards themselves. And I suspect, you know, 99.9% of the Magic population doesn't, doesn't have anything to do with this. But they see prices go up and they grab their pitchforks and everyone starts yelling at each other. And I don't know why, because it doesn't even matter, right? Like, let the collectors battle with themselves or let the, you know, the speculators battle with themselves. It, it doesn't matter most of the time. You know, these cards just... They're not really magic cards, like I said, right? Like, you don't buy them to play with them, right? The the only, you know, non-speculative reason to own these cards is you want to collect them to complete your set. Like, a, ve a very valid reason is, you know, I played with Legends growing up. I want a complete set of Legends for my collection, right? So, stuff like that. And when you're doing that, how playable the card is, like, doesn't matter whatsoever. So, it doesn't matter that this card is a lightning bolt or whatever. You just need one of them. And you're going to pay whatever it's worth for you, you know, to own it. And it's going to vary from person to person, right? Like, how how are your childhood memories? How important is the set of Legends? How much money do you make today? And the prices will just be all over the place. So, so I don't know. I, I don't care too much about this. It's, it's something that collectors need to deal with. And it's not affecting me as a Magic player. So people can do whatever they want with the reserve list cards. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. That really doesn't impact people's ability to play any format. I guess maybe old school or 93, 94, whatever you want to call it. But that's yep. a group of players who is pretty enfranchised and has a lot of money. Like, that's a format that impacts a very select group of players that probably doesn't really care too much about card prices or in a position where that doesn't uh, really matter too much to them. I guess my question is whether this is sustainable and the cost of these cards is just too low. It's definitely true that the supply of these cards is minuscule compared to the player base we have today. So are the cards from Legends, Arabian Nights, Antiquities just underpriced and they're undervalued assets? Or is this a bubble where... Uh, collect not collectors but speculators think that they're underpriced and that they can get the price up and then no one's gonna actually buy these cards and the bubble is gonna burst at some point so that's what i'm mostly trying to figure out i think it's a, more so that this is not wait there are people investing in this thinking that and i think this is what's really happening is you know, we can sit here and argue reasonings or whatever. It doesn't honestly matter what the reasoning is for people buying these cards, uh, you know, similarly to what Richard said. And it doesn't affect a lot of people. But the people that it does affect and the people that are affecting it, the percentage of those players doesn't need to be that high. Because like you said, Seth, I mean, there's just not a lot of these cards in existence. I, I have a couple of numbers. And I believe you've used these numbers before in previous articles over the years. Um you know, an alpha rare, wait, there's, you know, you look at a U1 from Antiquities, there's roughly 31,000 U1 Antiquities cards that have been pr printed. And that's not even how many are left in existence. There's just not a lot of these cards. And, you know, when you see a lot of these cards, even if they're bad, it doesn't even matter if they're good or bad. Like, hovering around 75 cents, a dollar, what have you, and... Those same cards can be sold at like five or six bucks. Yeah, that doesn't seem like a huge win on paper, but percentage wise, that's still a pretty big win. And I'm leaning towards not a bubble because as we've talked about this over the uh, couple of years and even before that, you know, you still look back on a few of these cards. Um, you know, what comes to mind are a few cards, um, before like King Suleiman or Sydney in a Bottle. I mean, largely those cards have not declined very much in a year or a year and a half's time and yeah that because it could be because they're more playable in that you know old school 93 94 format but again there's just not a lot of them that re-enter the market once they're gone and i think you know that just has to kind of tap in a little bit psych psychologically to, to players that 
honestly, it doesn't matter until they're gone, right? Like, you, you like knowing the fact that they're kind of there and they're like 75 cents and a dollar for a long time. And then you kind of forget about it. But other people are not forgetting about these cards. And they just realize that every time you keep buying up these cards, the price increases you know, sometimes drastically, sometimes they will, while they, you know, show up huge spiking percentages on one card. And even if they come back down, they, they really never go back to the price they were. And, and I don't, I don't see that as a bubble because they continues to sustain years after. I mean, we're talking about, you know, cards like Shahrzad or however you pronounce it or, you know, uh, King Suleiman or City in a Bottle where they were, you know, pretty inexpensive one year, and then they continue to be expensive going forward. Yeah, and that's this... just like the lower tier cards, like cards that not a lot of people really care about. You know, dual lands even. I mean, talk about the more playable cards. They continue to increase. I mean, you can look at these price graphs. Even for the very playable cards, they increase slowly but surely every single year. So this is just... This is honestly, at the end of the day, I mean, it is kind of taking advantage of a promise that is not going away that was made like 20 years ago. And, and for people that want to own these cards, um, every single year that they don't continue to own these cards, well, you know, they'll they'll have to pay a premium sooner or later. Yeah, just to echo that, I don't think this is a bubble. Like, the way I look at it, it you know, is Lifeblood a $100 card? You know, most likely not. But is it a $1 card? You know, if you are setting on, sitting on a set of legends and you're missing a lifeblood, how much are you willing to pay to get that last lifeblood? And my wager is a lot more than $1. Probably not 100 but would you pay 5 Would you pay 10 Probably. Right? When you're spending hundreds or thousands of dollars putting together a complete set, I think you're willing to spend, you know, 10 bucks for this last, you know, junk card. So I yep. I think the the floor for these cards is going to be much higher. Now the question is, if you have a lifeblood, how easy is it for you to sell at like ten dollars or twenty dollars? And it, you know it may be worth twenty dollars, but you need to find that you know one of those five people in the world looking for a lifeblood to finish their legend set. And I think that is the hard part, right? You can steal Mona Lisa, you can go steal the painting. But how many people are you going to get to buy that? You know, like the three museums in the world that can afford it, and that's it, right? You may not be able to offload it. So, you know, unless, unless you're actually seeking a lifeblood, you can get one, but you might not be able to sell it because you'll never find the person who actually wants it. So, I don't know, it's like a collectible, so it, it's really random, right? Like low supply, uh, low demand as well, so prices are like all over the place. So. Yep. I think prices will keep going up, but I don't think you would buy like stacks of lifeblood at 10 bucks and expect to sell them at 15 or 20 or something at any decent clip. Like, I don't think you can sell them that fast. You'll sell like one a month or something, right? Yeah. And, and that's just, again, weighing the risk versus reward there. If that's what some people are committed to do, then, then that's fine. There's certainly many other avenues in the market that, that are certainly viable and, and worthwhile and lucrative, but Again, um, and, and just I, I, want, I don't want to go too long and I want time for the fish mail. Just last point here. Um, even going further to what Richard said, too. And, and this, again, not not mattering about the reason why people buy these. I mean, these to some folks. And it, again, this number probably doesn't even have to be too large in the, in the overall percentage of magic players. This is what defines Magic the Gathering for them. Right? Like, Richard, I mean, you, you played with some of these cards. While you might not pay $100 for a lifeblood, I mean, you do look at these cards, and these are the exact cards that drew you into Magic the Gathering in the first place. And for some people, that's worthwhile for them to buy some of these cards so they own them. Uh, but when they never had a chance before, they, they just kind of forgot, or they just are now seeing these cards again, or, or whatever. I mean, some of these cards, I mean, if you ask me, Two weeks ago or three weeks ago, hey, do you know that card Lifeblood? Probably couldn't even have told you what it does what it, or what it did. But for some people, these are the cards that have defined Magic the Gathering for them. And there is a price for that. There is a price tag on that. That no other Magic card um, can, can reliably do. 
So, I guess the question is, I've been, as uh, we've been talking, just looking at the supply that's actually available of some of these cards, and it's basically none. Like, if you can find any near-mint copies, there might be two, there might be five, maybe at the most ten, and that's even counting eBay listings, uh, TCG Player, the big vendors, so... Is the right thing for people to do just go buy all of those cards? Like, is that is that if what they should be them. doing? <laughs> because yeah. how are you going to sell you them? Want them right? Just because I mean, it, it looks like a good idea on paper, but the what Richard definitely talked about is a real thing. You know, you can certainly buy a cheap copy of like Singing Tree or something like that, um, but it will take you some time to find someone willing to pay for a Singing Tree. And that's even at near mint. It would take probably considerably longer for a slightly played copy and, you know, so on and so forth. So um, while it does look good on paper, um, we do kind of fall back. Like we do, no matter what we talk about, we do definitely get to this conclusion of, and we've said it here on the podcast, if you want these cards every year or all the time that you wait to continue not to own these cards, uh, sooner or later you are going to pay a premium. And this is just... You know, cards that you may think are bad or what have you, but that goes basically to all the reserve list and additionally, even the, the good cards. So, and those continue to increase. So again, that, that always comes, we always come back to that conclusion. I guess the last thing I would say on the topic is just don't believe the prices because there's so few oh, out yeah. there that what the price you see, even on Goldfish or TCG Player, a lot of these places, they aren't the, the price that people are actually paying for cards. So if you want to get a sense of what the cards are actually worth and maybe even some sense of how quickly they move, check things like eBay completed listings, just because the normal pricing systems that work so well with newer cards where there's hundreds of copies being sold each day, it doesn't work the same when you have cards that are just so rare. It really throws the the prices out of whack. So be aware of that. If you are interested in buying these cards, do a little bit more research than you would do if you were buying a Gideon or a Chandra or some new card where the price is pretty set. Yeah, uh, check buy lists too. Uh, that's actually a really good indication that um, these are kind of co-signed or backed by vendors, especially the large vendors. Um, and and it certainly you know, will kind of solidify that, you know, hey, maybe this card did, there is demand for this card, and this card's price will kind of be, will stick a little bit. Yeah, that's guaranteed demand, right? Because you can yep. just send it to the vendor, and they'll they'll give, they'll give you money right then and there, right? So yep. buy lists are a good indicator, because that's actual demand that's there right now. All right, uh, that all being said, let's uh, wrap things up with fish mail. Alright, if you have questions, send them to at MTGGoldfish with the hashtag MTGFishMail, and we'll get to your questions on air. So, first question from Bob Boberson III. Anyone break down and get the SDCC promos? <laughs> so, Richard, we did the podcast, and then they went up after we did the podcast. So, they were, like, super late this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, they went up super late this year. Um, and I believe, uh, I checked yesterday, but I believe they're still available. Um, and I did not get one. Yeah, I, I didn't either. I weaned myself off, off the uh, promo train. <laughs> the wow. only reason I've been yeah. buying them is because like, I've always had them. I'm like, yeah, i got to finish the set. But I'm like, no more. Forget it. I don't <laughs> need these cards. What is the point? They're not that good this year. And the price has increased. So I decided not to get them. And apparently you can still get them. So uh Yeah, anyone gonna back out now? Anyone gonna reverse course and go buy one? (laughs) (sighs) I don't think so. I mean uh, Seth, you did not get one, right? No, I didn't. I just thought they were too expensive and figured if I wanted one, I could probably pick one up on eBay for about what retail was at at some point in the not too distant future. Yeah, I mean I looked at it and you know, after well they charge you tax for some weird reason. And then some people got the shipping promo to work and some people didn't. So it ended up being like pretty much like 200 bucks, um, all said and done. And I just don't think it was worth it. And if you wanted like specific cards, I'd rather just buy the Chandra at like 40 bucks and the poster at 30 than spend the 200 and get the rest of the promos that I'm 
never going to do anything with. I mean, I, I, I would probably wouldn't have even played any of them either. But, you know, Chandra's fine to have. I mean, it is a very good card. Uh, the poster's pretty cool from what I've heard. Uh, maybe the Nicole Boas. But other than that, there's no real reason to have spent the 200. Um, and again, for those of you that wanted to, I, I think it's still a decent price, but it was basically price, the aftermarket price for these this time. So I guess it wasn't too terrible. Yeah, it just goes to show you, you, you can only charge through the roof if they're good cards. Like, Magic yep. players apparently don't care about promos unless they're, like, promos of Tier 1 staples. <laughs> and <laughs> yep. there need to be a lot of them, right? If you're going to bundle five cards together, a lot of them need to be staples. Right. So it's, yep. it's quite interesting. It was at Liliana's Death Majesty that got me, Richard. And then <laughs> Jace unravel her secrets again. I was like, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm okay this time. I mean, if, like, three were playable, might swing me, but it, it's a tough sell. Wait, what if it was Liliana the Last Hope again instead of Death, Death's Majesty? Would you have gone for it? Maybe. I'd be a lot more enticed because I can okay. actually use that card. And it Fair goes enough. in my deck, and there's a justification besides, you know, buying them and putting my binder and never seeing them ever again. <laughs> you know, like that's pretty much what happens to most of them, right? I think if it was Last Hope, I would have done it. Like Last Hope, Chandra, the Nicole Boas, and even like the Nissan. Like I would have, it would have been a lot better. I think. Yeah. All right. Next question, Asim Burrowcrat. I'm with you on the no fancy border masterpieces. How about black and white cards? Maybe colored mana symbols. Ooh, that would be cool. I like it. Yeah. I like that. I like that idea. Yeah. Wait, Very you like cool. it? I thought you didn't like the black on black stuff. I don't like the black on black, but I think if it was black, black on and white, bla- really black and white, I think it would look cool. The black on black ones, eh, I wasn't a huge fan of, but I think black on white could be pretty cool. Black and white could be cool, but not for Dominaria. Dominaria has to have old frames exactly yes. like they were. <laughs> Don't yep. get fancy. Yep. Exactly the old frames with the old tap symbols and everything. Right right down to the rounded alpha borders. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Next question. Thunder FGC. Hey, guys. What land cycles do you think Wizards should revisit slash complete when Ixalan Dominaria 2019 are released? Um... Well, they are, they're revisiting the Buddy Lands. I think it's time for the Filter Lands. It's been a long time since the Filter Lands were, were printed. Yeah, I think we are about due for Filter Lands. I'm trying to think if there's any old land cycle that's really associated with Dominaria, and I can't really think of one. They're but all I, really bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we'll get the Buddy Lands, and I'm hopeful that we get the Innistrad enemy color ones as well. So, And then I don't know about Dominaria. Well, you know what, Lands Cycle, I, I associate with Dominaria. Dual Lands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, not getting those. Give us the good old uh, masks like Depletion Counter, like Pete Bog and uh, Hickory Woodlot. Yeah, I was thinking some kind of <laughs> counter-based land we haven't seen in a while, so that might be a thing. That would be sweet. Uh, next question, Nluin42, assuming the Ixalan leaks are legit, do you think it's better to get check lands now or after release? In paper, I don't think it really matters. They've been reprinted so many times. Yeah, they're like, what, max, like two bucks? Yeah. I mean, they're pretty much, yeah. I, I There's more on the way, so, uh, yeah. I don't think even, like, buying now, you you might save yourself, like, a f- 75 cents to a buck. I mean, it's I, not hugely, I don't like, think, a huge savings. Yeah, I don't think they'll go down in price being reprinted. I think the demand from being in standard, if anything, it'll go up a little. But I don't expect them to be worth enough that it's, a big deal to pick them up now. I don't think they're going to spike in price really either. On Moto, I do like, I picked up a bunch on Magic Online and because they were like 10 cents on Magic Online. And the, even with all the supply, the standard legal rare uh, lands are going to be more than that. So on Moto, I am a fan of picking them up now, but in paper, I don't really think it matters. Next question from Thoughtsees on one. What do you guys think of Chandra Torture Defiance? Will her price tag stay high? Will she see modern play? Ooh, uh, probably, and yeah, probably. I think it is definitely good enough for modern. I, it, it's yeah. like fringe almost already, right? 
Yeah, yeah. she's playing fringe decks. Yeah, I, I think her price will go down, though. I, she sees fringe play, but she's not, like, arguably the best four drop or anything like that. And she battles with herself a lot of the times, the other Chandras. So she won't go to zero, but I, I think it'll go down over time because I don't... She doesn't see that much play in Modern. And I think a lot of the price is price memory from, you know, being hyped as the next Mime Sculptor and, and whatever and having pre-sale prices through the roof. So it's it'll be interesting to see where she ends up. But I personally don't play Chandra. But I know a lot of people do like her in Jund, but it's not it's not like clear cut. There's a lot of debate over it. And remember, Chandra doesn't rotate this rotation. So she's in standard for another year. So even if she probably does go down eventually, I don't think she's gonna crash while she's in standard because she is very good in standard. Yep. Next question, Goku023, just saw the MTG Goldfish logo on the stream of Grand Prix Denver when showing decklist. Did Goldfish get a deal with the Grand Prix circuit? Uh, so we've been actually helping Channel Fireball with their coverage since last year, I believe. We've done quite a few GPs, so they've been using our decklist tools and things like that. So you should be seeing uh, scoops hidden on stream sometimes in, in the, the deck techs. Uh, next question, Martyrdom. Did Seth beat Marble Madness this vacation? Uh, I didn't even play any Marble Madness this vacation, but I have. I did finally beat it, just not on vacation. What did you do on your vacation? It's goldfishing time. <laughs> so and don't say play Magic the Gathering. <laughs> well, I did five zero a league with the Vengevine deck, but no, I I went down and visited a family down in Pennsylvania, and I had a like a family reunion thing the first weekend I was off and then did some random stuff in between car shopping, house shopping, things like that. Nice. Nice. All right. Next question from Kifka. Uh, feature request. Would it be possible to add an option for tracking foil prices under movers and shakers? Uh, yes. A lot of people have been asking for foil prices. So that's something we'll be adding to movers and shakers soon. Uh, quilted train looking to get a new tattoo this year but can't decide a d20 or a planeswalker symbol please weigh in oh um hmm. that's a that's I a tough d- one that's a yeah, tough that one. is a tough one i think d20 because it's a little more universal like people might not even know what a planeswalker unless you want like questions like what is that <laughs> i think the d20 is a little more recognizable but yeah, again, it depends if you how want much to be a conversation like, piece. Yeah, how much you like D and D because this serves as something for both. Uh, if you want to look like a nerd, D twenty. But planeswalker symbol, even if you don't know what planeswalkers or magic is, it looks like a cool symbol. So it's more, I guess, subtle. Whereas pretty much everyone knows what a D twenty is, and they'll ask you about Dungeons and Dragons. I think I associate D twenty more with Dungeons and Dragons than Magic the Gathering. So I think you'll start the conversation for D&D. Next question from Cardboard Mage. Favorite beers? I'm not a beer drinker, actually. I don't like beer. What? (laughs) Yeah. I haven't haven't drank beer in a very long time, but um, I... It's a seasonal beer that... um, I don't know if it's everywhere, but uh, certainly in New York. And I've had it a few times. Friend turned me on a very long time. I mean, I haven't drank in a very long time. But uh, it's called Nugget Nectar, and it's an IPA. That's that's all I can recommend. It was very, very good. So for common beers like Stella or Blue Moon, uh, for crafty beers, if you're in Pacific Northwest, Manny's Pale Ale is my favorite. Uh, Arrogant Bastards, pretty good. But I don't know how nationally available these beers are. And uh, Bud Light, Likewise, if you go yeah. watch football, <laughs> pay, like, oh. pay like $15 for your, for your Bud Light. Uh. <laughs> hey, at least they give you like a special uh, bottle thing. Have you, have you ever yeah. had like beer at a football game? It comes in like this weird aluminum bottle. I have, yeah. It's really weird. And then it's like Super Bowl, whatever. It's like all special. So you're like, yeah, I feel good for paying like $15 for this beer. Yeah, at least I get this, right? <laughs> uh, next question. Nazir Smith. I turned 21 today. 
and was wondering what your favorite adult beverage is. <laughs> All right, right, there okay, you go. So, so wait, <laughs> non-beer, your favorite adult beverage. So oh. you, you guys don't drink. Is there another adult beverage you like? Uh, I do like wine. I think out of all the adult beverages, probably uh, wine. Yeah, I guess that'll have to do. Uh, my go-to adult beverage is beer. I drink <laughs> wine, but I, I know nothing about <laughs> wine. <laughs> it's like, is this a $100 glass? Is this a $5 glass? I can't tell. Yeah, <laughs> probably stick to beer, too. It's, uh, yeah, probably stick to beer. Beer, root beer floats, milkshakes. At... <laughs> <laughs> uh, Run Thunder Snow. What is the cheapest a Mythic Rare has been while it's in standard? For Unesh is less than $1. Did Invocations do this? Oh. What, what, is, it, what, is, what is the bulk no, Mythic Rare no, price? The, the, no, I, I definitely... No, have, I have some knowledge on this one. <laughs> There's definitely been times where <laughs> Mythics have been under a dollar without invocations and masterpieces. I know it full well. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the worst of all time. I'm trying to remember. Archangel's Light might be one of them, and also like the third printing. Oh, of, that was so bad. Yeah, was it time? The card that was like forty dollars, and now it's time. Like, time reversal. Yes, time reversal was also super cheap when they kept reprinting it, and it was horrible. So it's fairly rare that mythics are under a dollar but there's definitely been some that are like 60 cents 70 cents so in that range <laughs> underworld soberest <laughs> yeah i'm pretty sure like pretty legit cards are bulk as well <laughs> you don't have to go to archangel's light to to get bulk prices oh it was brutal do you still have your underworld services by the way i do you always have to, you always have to remind yourself you know uh, next question from Antioch. Every time I fly with my magic cards, my bag gets pulled by TSA. Any tips? Oh. I've heard this a lot, but I've never experienced yeah, it I've myself. Yeah, I've heard that too. Apparently actually, your deck it, looks like a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> actually, I, I th- now this could just be I got lucky, but both times I went on the plane just recently, I did not, my book bag did not get checked. Did you did you have cards? Yeah, in there? I, had, I, I had I had a lot of cards in there. Yeah, I had a lot. Yeah. yeah, I've heard a lot of pros talk about this. That it apparently is just like part of them traveling to events. Is they kind of expect it to happen? And I don't know if there's anything you can do to minimize the odds of it happening. Yeah. No. Um, now the two airlines were JetBlue and American Airlines, respectively. So it could just be the airline. I don't know. But yeah, going to and coming back. Um, I did not get checked. Wait, but T- TSA is not airline dependent, right? Because you go through no, the same TSA. No, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It's not, but... Yeah, my but, only... Uh, no, no, well, sort of, because I got to the gate, and on the way back on American Airlines, they didn't check my bag, but they checked my, my um, like, I had a gym bag yeah. as well as my as my backpack, and they checked it at the gate. So it's actually kind of weird. And I had cards in there, too. Interesting. So, yeah, it was kind of weird. My only tip would be treat it like your toiletries. Just, like, pull them out, put them in the bin separately. <laughs> so when they scan it, they're like, okay, it's just, like, a big bag of cards. And they don't have to, like, rummage through your backpack and pull everything out and take a look. But I, I think it's a very common problem because I always see people complaining about it on Twitter. Yeah, they didn't check the they didn't check the bag, like, with cards in it. but And they also didn't check the bag with, like, $1,000 worth of computer hardware in it. So what do you, what do you it's what really do you random smuggling here. <laughs> Computer hardware, cars, gym bag. Okay, Okay. Uh, really quickly, gold fishing. I don't want to take it too long, but there's nowhere to like buy actual like computer parts except for like online down here in Florida. And up when I was up in New York, there's a there's micro centers. So I went to micro center and I got like seven hundred dollars worth of um you know computer parts because that's like what I do sometimes. And they were all in their boxes, and I. I barely fit them in my gym bag, and they didn't check them. So, who knows? There was like a video card in there. There was a there was a a water coolant system. So like there was it was like almost very sketchy looking, but they didn't check it at all. So I don't know. Maybe they're like, oh, he's getting like a video card. That's cool. Chad was like maybe they know Overwatch the on the plane with his like, PC parts yeah, scattered. Had, in the CC side. Yeah, it was so weird. It was so weird. Uh, last question from Tomaz. This one's for Richard. You mentioned you play Abzin in Modern. What's your current build? Can we see a deck list? Are you on Flayers, Bobs, Hierarchs? 
So no high arcs. I like Bob's. Uh, Gideon's. Gideon's is the secret sauce. <laughs> I play two Gideon ally of Zendikar. And my, my meta is all mid-rangey, so I don't like flares because they don't do anything against Death Shadow, but against combo decks and Tron and stuff, flares are awesome because they let you dig for your hate cards. But I'm totally on the Gideon plan. Gideon is the best card in Absent. <laughs> uh, Multi-format all-star, ally of Zendikar. That tech. So good. You just make two twos Richard was always the cool tech. What was the other? Oh, uh, gatekeep. I will, I'll never forget the gatekeeper, gatekeeper of Malakir. Malakir. Tech. So good. <laughs> yes, so good. Oh, when you, when you find that modern, Boggles player, when you find that Boggles player, it is so sweet. Richard, it's modern playable too. What are you doing? It is. I've played in modern sometimes. Oh, you do? Oh, okay. It's okay. hard on the mana base though. Triple black is. Oh uh, yeah, in my yeah, it's not yeah. easy. A little tough. Yeah, it's a little more tough. Yeah. All right. Um. I think that's it, right, Richard? Yep, that's all our fish mail. Thank you, everyone, for sending them in. Awesome. All right, gentlemen, uh, we are about that time. So, great cast. Great to have you back, Seth. Uh, looking forward to all the content. And everyone else, we will see you next time. This is the MTG Goldfish crew signing out.